drop. Each day I saw her, I couldn't wait to see her again. I wanted to let her know that she was more than a friend. I didn't know just what to do, so I whispered, I love you. She said that she loved me too, and then she kissed me. Welcome to This Could Be Gay, a podcast where we explore all the gay possibilities of pop culture. I'm your host, Anya, and this week's guest, and my pronouns, my pronouns are she, her, and my guest this week is Wally. Hi, uh, I'm Wally, also sometimes called Laura. Um, my pronouns are she or they, and um, I'm going to talk to you about Ted Lasso today, Woo-woo. which Anya has not seen because... She lives under a rock or something. <laughs> um, no, I really just watched it recently. I've been wanting to watch it, but um, didn't have access to it until I dog sat for somebody that had access, and I binge-watched the whole two seasons. But before I get started, I want to quickly go back and uh, comment on a previous episode where you talked about the Bridgertons, because um, I over the course of the pandemic feel like I went to like romance university and (laughs) just like have been like reading a lot and learning about about the genre and reading a lot of books from it and so I I happen to know for people who are looking for more queer representation in a regency era uh historical romance that there are some authors out there doing it and I think the best of those are um, Olivia Waite, that's W-A-I-T-E, and Kat Sebastian. Um, they are just killing it right now, and they have quite a backlist out there, so you can just go read to your heart's content. Um, but I also want to shout out a young adult novel called A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee, um, which is fantastic. It's set a little bit earlier, sort of in the Marie Antoinette era, um, but it's a like a boy and his best friend quote unquote (laughs) who are like going on the grand tour of the continent um and he's really excited because he's been like in love with his best friend for forever and like um thinks that this is going to be his like last big chance to like make it happen when they're out away from the prying eyes of the like stodgy british um but um they have like this really shitty grumpy chaperone and he's like escorting his younger sister to like finishing school and then like they steal something from you know the king of france and hijinks it's but so it's really it's really like a fun um rom-com type situation it's really delightful um and even though it is a young adult novel it is still you know kind of like cute and you know lovey and it was fun um and another kind of if it was like the costuming that you really liked, I want to shout out a graphic novel called The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. I've read that one. It's very good. Very good. Um, and not queer, but if you were kind of in love with the racial representation, um, I know that that is starting to creep its way a little bit more into historical novels because there were black and brown people in like these historical eras and these places that just haven't been represented. And one that I read recently that I liked was called The Viscount Made Me Do It by Diana Quincy, um, which is about a daughter of Arab immigrants who is a bone setter. Mm. It's very, very good. Um, 
And I mean, like in the very first scene, she dislocates an asshole's shoulder and it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> just like a very, very delightful. Um, and it's not historical, but it does have to do with like royalty and titles and it's black and brown people getting their happily ever afters. And that's the reluctant Royals by Alyssa Cole. Also highly recommend. So that's a total tangent, but for people who are listening to this podcast and were frustrated by the lack of queerness in historical romance like there are some places to go so (laughs) thank you big tangent but anyway ted lasso (laughs) so because um you've not seen this uh, and in case anybody else doesn't know about it it is this like like 30 hour comedy um that focuses on a u.s football coach he's taught like um like college football um in like kansas i think somewhere in the midwest like kansas city missouri i don't know somewhere in the midwest and um he is hired kind of out of nowhere nobody really understands to coach this professional european football so soccer team in london okay (laughs) um and everybody's like what (laughs) um and it's revealed kind of in the first episode that the owner of this um, football team, um, I'm going to call it football because they call it football, um, is the newly divorced um, ex-wife of the, the former owner. And, like, she got the football team in the divorce. And he was just, like, this awful, awful human who had been just, like, cheating on her repeatedly and, like, openly. And, like, she was the last one to know. And he's just, like, a true scumbucket. And the only thing that he ever really loved was this football team. (laughs) And so she's like, I'm going to run it into the ground. I'm going to torture him by forcing him to sit back and watch his beloved football team, like, get relegated. Which is, like, going from, like, professional to, like, the minor leagues, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you, like, lose enough, you get, like, demoted, essentially. Like, you go down a league. Um... And so this is, like, her revenge. And so she, like, fires this shitty head coach who's this misogynistic, like, just douche nozzle. And, <laughs> like, uh, it's just, like, a oh, really great time doing it. Like, she, this kind of character who might be characterized as, like, this, like, horrible, like, ball buster ice queen. But she's, like... I stand Rebecca. She's like the best. I absolutely <laughs> adore her. Um, and uh, so she fires that guy and brings in Ted Lasso, who is this like obscenely cheerful man. Like he is just like so over the top friendly and optimistic, like almost a little Pollyanna, except that he's not naive. It's like he like, Instead of choosing violence, he chooses the opposite. Like, he, he's, like, aware of what's happening and aware of how he is perceived by people and just, like, chooses to be aggressively friendly and optimistic anyway. Um, and so he's not, like, this, like... I mean, it is a joke because it's a comedy, but it's not like he's this naive, unaware person doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the team is, like what what is happening like this is awful (laughs) um and he's kind of this fish out of water and it's 
it's just like charming and soft and like he's such a cinnamon roll and it's really amazing and everybody should watch it. I really liked it. It's also I think a really great representation of um like positive masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that that is very very rare. Oh, uh, yeah. you know, like we have plenty of representation of toxic masculinity, but very few things that we can point to to be like that. That is masculinity that is not toxic, you know? Like, check please. Exactly. <laughs> yes, the graphic novel check please. So good. So, um, just overall, the show is really good. I will say it's very white. Um, like, they have a very racially diverse football team, but very few of those characters are, like, main characters. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, is, it is largely white, and I will say that that is probably the biggest failing of the show, is, like, that lack of representation. Um, and there is, is kind of a lack of, of like open queerness. So there are several different places where I feel like the show could have, or could in the future play around with that. Mm -hmm. So the first character I wanted to talk about is Trent Krim from the independent. He is a journalist kind of the first, the only named journalist that we really know. And he's like this very like, you know, posh, serious, capital J journalist. (laughs) And he has this gorgeous mane of black hair with a thick streak of silver. And he's just a beautiful man. And um, he like is the first journalist to really like ask a question to Ted. And he's like, is this a fucking joke? Like he's like, really kind of disgusted by this whole thing and eventually he gets like this one-on-one interview he like spends the day with Ted Lasso to do this like interview process and he really gets to like see Ted Lasso like in his element and kind of see underneath this like kind of goofy looking exterior and like they end up like having dinner together and there's Mm -hmm. like this moment where um like, Ted is, like, eating something spicy, and, like, Trent Krim, like, kind of, like, flicks his eyes up and looks at him, and just, like, <laughs> has this soft smile on his face, and, oh. and, and, like, the article that he writes is sort of, like, I, and, like, this might turn out to be a disaster, but I'm kind of rooting for this guy, like, it's, like, I don't know, it read almost like a love letter, or, like, the, of, like, somebody, like, kind of, falling for somebody a little bit it was like very sweet um and then in second season like spoilers so like skip ahead if you don't want spoilers for season two but like something something happens like Ted Lasso he um develops kind of this like panic order disorder you know like he's having like really extreme panic attacks um he's like going through a divorce like his wife and kid are back home and like he you know, has this, like, really kind of debilitating panic attacks. And he has one during a game and has to, like, walk off, um, walk off the field. And um, it becomes kind of this scandal when this anonymous source, like, tells the press. And so Trent Krim, like, reaches out to Ted Lasso, like, texting him. So you realize, like, these two have, like, a text relationship happening so like that's a thing um (laughs) and is kind of like like do you want to comment on that like I like as a professional like I have to run this story 
but like as somebody who respects you like I want to like give you you like you know I like I don't personally care about this like I like I think that this is like a I wish I didn't have to treat this like news um and it's like very like sweet and like trying to be comforting and he reveals his anonymous source which is like a big ethical no-no for journalists i mean like like and like quits his i can't remember if he resigns or if he's fired um but like dude blows up his career for ted oh my god you know and like decides he's gonna like take up writing true love yeah right (laughs) right and like i just it's just I don't know, kind of sweet. Um, and so, like, my headcanon is that Trent Krim is, like, in love with Ted Lasso, whether or not it's reciprocated. But I do think they have this kind of, like, sweet chemistry. Like, he's this very, like, posh, jaded journalist. And, like, Ted Lasso is this, like, sunshine bomb of a human. <laughs> and I kind of love that, oh, you yeah. know? Like, that dynamic I really think is cute. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean... I would also be happy for Ted to um, end up with his, like, he ends up, like, with a therapist who is also very shut down emotionally, and I'm not cool with, like, the patient doctor thing, but, like, they end their professional relationship, and I would be fine with that also, but, so that wouldn't have been a queer relationship, but I also would have been fine with it, but my, my dream relationship is Ted Lasso and Trent Krim. <laughs> um, but the other character I really want to talk about is Keely. Um, so she is, um, we meet her the first episode. She's dating kind of the hotshot star player, mm-hmm. Jamie Tart. Um, she's, I think she says something like, I'm famous for being almost famous. She's kind of like a professional hot person. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like so like smart and self-possessed and cool. And I just really like her a lot. Um, and she's like like getting into her 30s and like I think is like having some frustrations with dating this like 23 year old like boy yikes you know and she's like you know they're fun and energetic but like he has no accountability and like does something really shitty and they have this kind of fight and end up kind of breaking up and um During that process, she has this kind of established chemistry with, there's this other character named Roy Kent, who uh, is kind of the elder statesman on the team. Like, he used to be the golden boy, and he's now, like, probably in his last season or two of his career. Like, he's slowing down. He's aging out of the sport. So he's, like, really dealing with his, not his, like, mortality, but, like, the mortality of his career, mm-hmm. you know? And so he is this, like, grumpy, growly, like, a beautiful man, um, played <laughs> by Brett Goldstein, um, who is, um, was in the writer's room. Oh. And was like, you know what? I really want to play this guy. <laughs> like, I really want to, like, dig into this character, which I, like, absolutely love. Um... And he does a great job. And anyway, so he and Keely, like, they have this really interesting chemistry. Because um, he's, he's just, like, growling, angry all the time. And she, like, 
is the opposite of intimidated by him. She like mocks him. She's like, I really can. I get paid to play a game, not angry all the time. And she just fucking <laughs> drags him, and he loves it. You know, just like, oh my god, it's so cute. Anyway, so after when um when she and Jamie end up breaking up, they're doing this like bachelor auction to raise money. You know, the athletes are like they auction themselves off for a date or whatever, mm-hmm. and um. Jamie brought a second plus one so that somebody else would be bidding on him. And she's like, the fuck you did. And so (laughs) when Roy Kent goes up there after, while they're having this argument to be auctioned off, she bids on him to like, be like, oh, you think jealousy is attractive, huh? You think that's funny? Well, like, here you fucking go. (laughs) Um, And afterwards, Roy like comes up to them and is like, don't use me as a prop in your little fight. Like, it made me feel like an idiot. And he, like, kind of storms off. But then she's like, I'm so sorry. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I shouldn't have put you in the middle of that. Like, that was really shitty. Um, And, like, it's that moment when she's like, this is what healthy communication looks like. And this child is just not on my level. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Like, she's also, she's developing a really great relationship with Rebecca, whom she, oh my god, I she's, like, definitely, like, a little bit hot for Rebecca. It's very, very Ooh. cute. Like, Rebecca, like, mentions this, like, paparazzi, like, took a topless picture of her while she was sunbathing on a yacht or whatever, and Keely, like, sees the picture, and she's like, oh my god, are those your real tits? Like, they're amazing! Like, <laughs> blew my mind off! And, like, she's another, like, um, she's like, I would kiss you on the lips if I could reach them, you know? Like, <laughs> she's just, like, like, absolutely loves and adores Rebecca, and they end up having this, like, very sweet, like, you know, mentor-older-sister kind of relationship, but you, like, definitely get the vibe that, like, Keely has a little bit of a crush on her, Ooh. you know, in a yeah. cute way. But mm-hmm. I just, uh, Keely is just the best. She's just like so open about herself. I think it's very great. But where was I? I've lost my train of thought. Anyway, so Keely dumps Jamie, mm-hmm. um, and she and Roy end up sort of flirting a bit, and like there's a big team celebration, and like they have this great chemistry and like he walks her back to her I think they're like out of town so it's like a hotel room like walks her back to the hotel room and like she thinks he's gonna kiss her and he like doesn't and so she thinks he's like rejecting her she like checks her breath it's so cute um but he's just like I wanted it to be like a real thing and not just like a hookup so I like wanted he was like trying to be respectful and like not assuming like on the first I'm like oh my god (laughs) just a growling man he's so sweet um and so they end up like getting together and it's very cute because it's another very like he's so grumpy and she's so like I mean, she has a sparkly unicorn planner for running all of her like PR business she's like (laughs) the best um and, uh, so they end up having, like, they really grow together as this couple, which is really, really great. Um, and Jamie, like, at first it's very, like, you know, weird, intense, but Jamie gets 
traded back to his original team, so he's kind of gone for a little while. Um, and over the course of the two seasons, like, you see him really, he was like this kind of caricature of just like a super douche. Like, he's kind of a bully, he's really full of himself, he's just this like prima donna asshole. Mm-hmm. And, um, you get to see some depth of him over time where you see him kind of like regretting blowing up his situation with this soccer team, um, Richmond, which is the name of the team. And like the positive relationship, the positive culture that Ted Lasso was building and putting back in this very like much more toxic situation. And like, He's a really toxic relationship with, like, his coach and also with his dad. Like, it's really, it's revealed later, like, his dad is, like, awful. Like, verbally, sometimes physically abusive. Um, uh, And, like, and you see him really, he comes back to Keely at some point and he's, you know, like, like, I still have feelings for you. Like, I'm, you know, he wants, he's like, I still love you. Um, and, like, Keely's like, I'm with Roy, you know? Like, I'm glad that you were, like, growing as a person, but, like, I'm with Roy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so what, what I really started thinking is his, his kind of, like, redemptive arc, um, I think is, is incomplete, but it's, like, it's going somewhere. Like I'm hoping that he continues to grow in season three, but I became kind of obsessed with his relationship, Jamie's relationship with Roy. Cause at the beginning it's very, very contentious, like very like, I mean like he's what Roy used to be. And he like calls him granddad and is oh, just like a, such a dick to him. And they're like literally at each other. So they literally get like yellow carded for fighting each other on the field. Oh my God. Like and their animosity towards each other is like, it's very physical and like, they just like needle each other all the time. Like mm-hmm. even though they know they should kind of stay away from each other, they like kind of can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, Later in season two, Jamie ends up back on their team and his dad comes into the locker room and is just beating him down, like, just, like, destroying him. It's really hard to watch. And Roy hugs him. Oh. Like, um, just, like, full on just, like, embraces him and supports him. And it's, like, really beautiful you know, in a way that, you know, could be about, like, brotherhood or whatever, but, like, I think it would be really, really interesting, and I don't know if the seeds of this are, like, actually in the show, or if it's just something I wish that would appear in a show like this, of the possibility of the three of them being in a relationship together, because... Every time that I can think of, like, polyamory or, like, a threesome or something being represented in pop culture, it is, like, something that's, like, salacious or taboo or it's, like, you know, kind of, like, a dirty, dramatic setting. And, like, this is a, like, a sweet, gentle cinnamon roll of a show. Mm -hmm. And, like, 
to show three characters that have all grown together and each have their own relationships with each other and like have all learned how to communicate and grow kind of you know Mm -hmm. with each other like what a beautiful like piece of representation that would be to like normalize that kind of relationship I started thinking a lot about this with um are you familiar with Lindy West no okay I stand Lindy West she is a writer um and uh humorous she her memoir was the basis of the show shrill oh um on hulu yeah i've seen that um she very recently um publicly came out um like revealed that she's in a polyamorous relationship um and it's just like it's like very sweet and domestic and cute and like i love her to pieces and like, it was the first time I think I'd really seen somebody that I, like, know a lot about and respect and, you know, like, um, be so incredibly vulnerable and open about kind of the inner workings of that kind of relationship mm-hmm. and how, like, remarkably healthy it looks and, you know, the right. amount of, like, work and, you know, communication that they go through. And I'm just like, I have never seen this in media Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of, like, soft, mutually supportive relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I, this was on my mind, like, as I'm watching Ted Lasso. And I was like, I would love to see these three characters, like, grow together in that way. Yeah. Um, and I think it would just be, like, really delightful to see something like that. Absolutely. In a show like that, specifically. Right. So... Anyway, I could literally talk about Ted Lasso for another hour, but like, (laughs) I feel like I'm just like word vomited at your face. So why don't you talk about what you're going to talk about today? (laughs) All right. Well, I don't mind the word vomit, of course. I love it. Um, But today I'm going to talk about Agent Carter, which is... Yes! Yes. Which is a Marvel TV show um, that takes place after the first Avenger, uh, which is you know, Steve Rogers, Captain America's first movie. And uh, it takes place, but in the, in 1949 or 46, 1946 uh, with Peggy doing routine office work for the SSR in the U S and like, she keeps trying to get good like assignments and things. And they just keep kind of beating her down because she's a woman and they don't want her out in the field and stuff, but she knows she can work in the field and so she keeps trying to get those jobs, and they keep just, you know, gatekeeping it from her. Well, and this was a big thing after World War II, that, like, women had, like, stepped up and taken over these roles during the war. And right. then all these men were coming back from war, and they wanted to push women back out of the workforce. Right. So. Exactly. And so while she's doing all this, like, boring-ass routine office work for the SSR, she's also secretly uh, doing a bunch of, like... Spy shit. Spy shit, yeah, exactly, with Howard um, with Howard Stark, because at this time, he's being framed by, who knows, I can't remember. I feel like it's Hydra. It's yeah, probably, probably Hydra. Hydra. <laughs> he's being framed uh, for sending, or selling weapons to enemies of the U.S., 
And so she's like working behind the scenes with him to prove his innocence while the SSR is actively investigating him. So she's like playing both sides essentially. Um, and like a boss. Yeah, she's killing it, of course. And um, so basically that's how that goes. And eventually she ends up moving to Los Angeles to, to work with um, the people there and you know, save the world from being destroyed in another way. Um, but that's the second season. I don't know. I, I'm not going to get too much into the second season. But basically, I think that... Uh, so Peggy, while she's working at the SSR, there's this nearby... Um, what are they called? Automat? Yeah. There's automat. a nearby Automat, which is like a diner slash place that has a bunch of vending machines. Yeah. <laughs> It was a wild time. <laughs> so she goes there and she gets like coffee and pie and things. And it turns out that the lady that works there, her name is Angie Martinelli. She and uh, Peggy strike up this like friendship because Peggy will, you know, go there after work and complain about all of her shitty male coworkers. And Angie gets it. And well, and I think like some male um, customer like tries to get kind of handsy or whatever. Yes, and Peggy I mean, like stabs up with a fork or something yeah. like that. I don't remember what happens, but yeah. is a badass. Yeah, is a badass and, like, saves Angie Martinelli from, you know, the, the gross dude. And I have a headcanon that they are together, absolutely. They're in love. 100%. Because as it progresses, like, um, Peggy is trying to find a place to live in New York because at first it was, like, a temporary assignment, but she thinks it's going to be more long-term. So she's trying to find this place to live, and she's not having any luck. Uh, and she talks to Angie about it, and Angie's like, hey, come and stay at where I live. It's like and a it's, boarding house. It's like a boarding house where it's, like, all women living there. And so, yeah, she ends up moving into this boarding house and is, like, neighbors with Angie. And I'm like, mm because it's a boarding house that has rules so it's like they have to be back by a certain time they can't leave so while she's like doing no all this, men upstairs yeah no men upstairs um and while she's doing all this espionage you know with howard stark she's having to like sneak out and do all this secretive stuff um and i definitely think that they hooked up for sure you know they on those have nights. off the charts chemistry it's they're a beautiful couple. They're I, amazing. I love it. And the fact that they essentially wrote her out of the second season by sending Peggy to LA, like, right, makes me actively very angry. And like her other love interests, like, I like that they didn't shy away from like racism um, happening at that time period. Like, her- yeah, they talk about in in the second season when she goes to uh, Los Angeles, she meets this uh, black man that she like flirts with and has like a an almost relationship with but things get complicated because it turns out that he's like a ghost or he becomes a ghost yeah, it's, it's really wild it's very wild but i mean like i you know the first season was very white um and i like yes. that they didn't shy away from dealing with that very openly in season two right. and that her other love interest has like a visible disability. Yes, like, I like a, that a too. Wounded soldier. Yeah, Daniel Sousa is one of the agents at the SSR with her, and he has like his leg is messed up, mm-hmm. and so he walks around with like a crutch. Yeah, and um, he still kicks ass all the time. Yeah. It's awesome. So I mean, like I love both of her like other love interests. Right. Um, but like none of them have the chemistry. Right, like, the chemistry is wild, and I just, yeah, 
they missed a, a great opportunity there, I think. Agreed. Hard agree. <laughs> and then um, I also think, I don't know, whenever somebody in a show is like a dumb ladies man, I'm like, only ladies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Um, so I think that Howard Stark definitely is bi and definitely experimented oh, yes. <laughs> across this series. For sure. A hundred percent. He's got big gay energy. Big gay energy. And big bi energy. Yes, big bi energy. Um, (laughs) Like when he moves to Hollywood and like all these women are always over at his house. I'm like, and probably men. Yes. So, you know. Um, Yeah, that's my idea of Agent Carter being queer as it should have been. As it should have been. Ugh, man. I love Peggy Carter. Me too. <laughs> so much. She's the greatest. Um, but I, I don't know. They do some weird shit with her character. Like They give, really do. They give... So a subplot of the first season is that Peggy has this vial of Steve, which is Captain America's blood, that she's like protecting from evil forces. And so she like hides it in her wall at the boarding house, like creates a hole in the wall and like hides it in there. And then it's like this big dramatic reveal when she like goes to the bridge, to a bridge and like pours it off the bridge into the Hudson river or wherever it is. And it's just like, Wait a minute, wait a minute. You knew this dude for, like, two months. Yeah. And then you had a vial of his blood? And... What? <laughs> it's very strange. I mean, they had an intense connection. Nobody's sure, denying sure. that. And so it does feel, you know, like scattering somebody's ashes or something. But it's still, like... That blood's not going to be good for anything if you're not refrigerating it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> exactly. It's just... They, they make some weird choices. They but really, really do. They should have made... Some better choices. Also, can we just talk about, I hate that, like, this happens a lot when they have, like, female superheroes, or even, like, females in superhero movies, is that, like, their bad guy has to also be a woman. Right. You know? And so, like, even, like, I mean, you'll see in, like, like Black Panther he has like a badass lady army and like he's fighting the male antagonist and his badass ladies are like fighting some evil lady like it's the kind of thing that happens all the time it's like they have to like segregate by gender like who can fight each other right and it's just like really so weird. Right, because in the second season, the villain is a woman who is, like, obsessed with her self-image and power, mm-hmm. and she gets exposed to this, like, nuclear goo or something that gives her these, like, powers. Yeah. <laughs> and she gets this, like, crack along the side of her face. It's really weird, but Very that's... Very strange. <laughs> Same nuclear goo that turns her love interest into a ghost, sort of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's... It's a wild, convoluted yeah. ride. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they should have been queer, and they missed a huge opportunity. And that's how I feel about Agent Carter. Agreed. <laughs> All right, well, my name is Anya. You can find me on social media, on Instagram, at, at Anya Monique, and you can find the podcast on Instagram at This Could Be Gay. 
Uh, and you can request to follow me on Instagram if you really want to. <laughs> um, at Laura and or Wally. But I do freelance book editing. And you can find my editing website at laurawally.com. Um, you can also find me there if you need any more book recommendations. I'm up for that. 100% of the time. <laughs> All right. Don't make the same mistake that the people who wrote Agent Carter did and uh, go out with your girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss me in a way that I've never been kissed before. She kissed me in a way that I want to be kissed forevermore. I knew that she was mine till I gave her up.